Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 you've heard am you've heard fm now tune into dm radio the world's longest running show about data each week host eric cavanaugh interviews the brightest minds in the world of information management want to be on the show send an email to info at dmradio.biz now here's your host eric cavanaugh Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome back once again to the longest running show in the world about data. It's called DM Radio. Yours truly, Eric Cavanaugh is here. And uh, yes, indeed, we've got an all-star cast for you once again. Today, we're going to dive into really one of the biggest topics in the world of enterprise computing. It's all about the cloud, right? The cloud is the new center of gravity. Of course, uh, on-prem data centers were the center of gravity for many, many years and they're not going away, folks, anytime soon. I think the rumors of the on-prem data center's demise have been greatly exaggerated indeed. But nonetheless, cloud is now the new center of gravity. So what does that mean? Well, you want your data to be close to your applications, right? And the big cloud players have availability zones. That's where our title came from today. But there are lots of other issues to come into play here. There's hot storage, cold storage, hybrid cloud architecture. There's a lot of stuff you have to do to be able to get this right. But I can promise you that the companies that are looking into this, that they're trying to figure out how it's going to work for them, what kind of architecture they need, uh, what kind of tools and, and technologies they need to enable their business to do better, to succeed in the modern world. Well, that's what our guests are going to tell us about today. We're going to hear from Garima Kapoor from a cool company called Min.io. We've got Gary Ogasawara. He is from a company called Cloudian. And last but not least, we'll talk to David Feller from a company called Spectra Logic. But let's go ahead and, and dive right in. You know, I've been tracking enterprise software for 20 plus years now, and it's a fascinating journey we've been on. And we've really learned so much in the last 10 years, I think, that the last five years have just been white hot with innovation, with very clever ways of being able to enable multi-cloud, hybrid cloud environments where you have data on-prem, you have data in a private cloud, you have data in the public cloud. How do you sort of weave together the big picture to where that all makes sense and doesn't cause your developers or your business people or your customers lots of headaches? So with that, let me go ahead and bring in uh, Garima Kapoor from Min.io. Tell us a bit about yourself and what you're doing in the space of cloud storage. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Uh, pleasure to be here. Um, and Hi, this is Garima. I'm one of the founders and COO at Minayo. I'm responsible for driving the business operations. Um, we founded Minayo back in 2014, and our goal has been to be AWS S3 for the rest of the world. So from zero lines of code back in 2014 to now, we have around 1.1 million Docker downloads a day. So we have a bigger ecosystem now, more than AWS itself. And uh, in essence, what Minayo wow. is, it is open source, software-defined, Kubernetes-native, high-performance object store. You can download the software from our website and get your object storage, AWS S3-compatible object storage within minutes. 
and get get started building with your applications. Yeah, that's just amazing. I mean, and you you folks have really nailed what is now a whole new way of doing business in the software world. Some people call it product-led growth, where you literally give the product away. You open source the technology, you give the product away, you get it into the hands of developers so they can try it and work with it and do things with it. And then you market to those people, right? So they're already using your stuff. So you, I'm sure in a fairly soft way, you reach out and say, hey, or you may even notice that usage goes up for a particular client. So you're like, ah, but they're uh, ready to go enterprise grade. Just explain real quick for the general audience what this product-led growth is all about about in the open source movement. Absolutely. I think, first of all, you know, cloud is built on open source. If you see all the foundational stuff when it comes to uh, even cloud technologies, whether it is Kubernetes, whether it is uh, now uh, with MinIO object storage as well. So the foundational technologies are mostly object stored from databases to streaming engines and whatnot. So it is very important that you capture the hearts and minds of the application developers very early on as they're building to this stack. And object storage is so fundamental to when you're building the pro- building the applications because applications are becoming stateless. So the states need to be held in object store. So object store gets plugged into the system very early on when these application developers are building their stack. And once that stack becomes mature, they can just deploy it anywhere uh, they want. So as you know, and as this uh, technology gets matured, we get engaged very early on and get to the production level. And that is where the product-led growth uh, necessarily comes into play. So I think for today's uh, uh, world where, you know, everyone from application point of view, they just want something to just work at the end of the day. Simplicity is very important. Being part of the entire ecosystem and software stack is very important, whether from Kubernetes standpoint, whether having uh, 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 application ecosystem from analytics and database standpoint, it's very important to be very early on as part of the stack. And as that gets matured, it is very natural for your technology to get uh, built in as part of the production environment. And that leads to the commercial engine overall. So I think product-led growth is the way uh, forward for uh, uh, for software-defined product and even for service-oriented products. Uh, that is how uh, software is going to be consumed in future. And uh, uh, if you see other companies in this space, which have been very successful, like uh, Atlassian and others, they have all led to product-led growth. And that also leads to a lot of uh, efficiency in the business model overall, reduced op- operational overhead, increased margin, and so on. So product-led growth has a lot of benefits uh, attached to it, especially. And if you attach open source next to it, then it just... Uh, uh, goes on its own exponential tangent overall. Yeah, that, that's a, a lot of really good information you just threw out there. And one term caught my ear in particular, you were referring to cloud native architectures and designing products such that they are cloud native, which basically means you can design it in its little capsule and then deploy it wherever. Yes. You can deploy yes. it on Amazon, you can deploy it in, in Google Cloud Platform, which is so wonderful because having to design for multiple different endpoints has always been a pain. It always will be a pain. It is. Right. So, but you you made another really good quote, which is that the cloud is built on open source. You know, one of the coolest things to me about looking at cloud architecture and how all these new applications are being designed is that we really have baked in so many best practices from the on-prem world over the years, whether it be authentication, 
or a single pane of glass or whatever, or really just a capturing of metadata. Who logged in when from what machine? How long were they in? What did they touch? These are audit trails, that kind of stuff. I mean, it did exist in the on-prem world. It does exist, but it's just it's a bit harder to navigate. And so I think what we saw is that open source inspired everyone. And as you said, because of that, it formed the foundation of what is the cloud computing world today, right? Absolutely. And uh, like I said earlier in our conversation, you know, from uh, us and our conversations with the customer, cloud is more of a mindset. It's more of an operational Mm. model than, you know, a place, physical place where the data is hosted. Uh, Cloud was synonymous to public cloud uh, five years back uh, or six years back when we were early on. But now as customers are, you know, starting on their journey of being cloud native and uh, more cloud first as an organization, they are thinking about all workloads. Like you mentioned in your uh, introduction as well, you know, the applications, wherever the data is, cloud needs to be there. And that's what, uh, you know, Minio-like products bring to you. Like you can deploy it anywhere, whether it is on edge, whether it is on your colo and whether it is in the cloud, you get the consistent storage experience for all your applications. Because, you know, data has gravity. Compute, it's very easy to move around compute. You can containerize it, take it anywhere Mm -hmm. you need to go. So compute is the easy part. Data is where the gravity is. And if you see how the scale of data has increased just over the last couple of years, it has been insane. When we started the company, we were talking in terabytes. And now it's just multiple petabytes in first conversation itself that we get involved with the customer. So the scale has changed dramatically data has gravity to it and it's very difficult to rewrite those applications for every single underlying storage environment so from customer standpoints it's very important that customers standardize on an industry specific uh, api which is now s3 api thanks to amazon aws who have led this whole uh, 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 you know defining of object storage and also leading the way when it comes to defining the industry standard api and Minayo does uh, gives the customers the ability to have a consistent underlying storage infrastructure no matter where they go. You go to public cloud, Google Cloud, Azure, they're all incompatible with AWS. Now, if you need to move your applications from AWS to any other cloud, you need Minayo. Further, for even disaster recovery reasons, right, if you are just in AWS, if AWS goes down, what happens to your applications, right? So for that, you need replication across different clouds, different environments, on-prem, public clouds, whatever that might be. Minayo gives you that ability of active-active replication. So your data is available all the time for your applications to access. So I think as long as the customer standardize on the industry standard APIs and uh, keep the control of the software stack to themselves, their cloud journey will become very easy and seamless in future rather than, you know, just getting stuck with one vendor or right. one public cloud overall. So yeah. and customers are taking it very seriously as they're, you know, thinking about a bigger uh, strategic decision, especially from CIO's perspective. Yeah, sure. And just to really quickly explain for our audience out there, in a sense, MinIO sits in between the consumer of the information and the provider of the information. And you you serve as a sort of um, an interface or an abstraction layer that allows you to plug and play that data wherever you want it, right? So it's, it's like a translation layer for whatever data looks like. No, go ahead. No, so 
yeah, so Minayo is a complete storage stack. Think of it as a complete replacement for AWS S3. Okay, okay. Yeah, so just give us just underlying hardware, disk, CPU, and memory, and so on, and deploy Minayo on your own underlying infrastructure, and you have end-to-end software storage stack. So that's what we do with the complete storage system. It's not a translation layer. We make it very simple for customers to deploy uh, Minayo. So maybe that's where uh, some of the uh, things come in that it is a translation layer and so on, but it is a complete software stack. We make sure your data is reliable. We make sure your data is available all the time, and we make sure we deliver to you the highest performance object storage out there. So very, very it's a cool. complete object storage stack, yeah. Okay, good stuff. All right, great. Let's uh, stick around for the roundtable. Let's bring in our next guest. We have Gary Ogasawara from a company called Cloudian. Uh, Gary, tell us a bit about yourself and what you're doing in the world of cloud storage. Sure. Um, Nice to be here, first of all. So Mm -hmm. I'm uh, the CTO of Cloudian. So um, in the same same, uh, spot as MinIO that Garima just covered, object storage. So Cloudian provides object storage software to enterprises and also uh, service providers that power clouds. So private clouds, and then also clouds that are then resell this object storage to their end customers. And um, yeah, I mean, I just want to make another pitch for object storage and how critical it is now. So this is this covers all of unstructured data. So when we say unstructured data, it means things like photos, application log files, videos, backups, documents, all that. And would like to add that now object storage is being used more and more for structured and semi-structured data. So that means things like um, web logs, things like CSV files, JSON, etc. And for Cloudian, what uh, we typically, our typical customer is scaling up to multiple petabytes of storage and then storing that across different data centers in different geos. So that's a very typical customer. And um, uh, we have a strong focus on the S3 API, Amazon's S3 API. So the whole um, point is that the developer can now develop their app using the S3 API, and then they don't have to be locked in to a particular cloud or a particular vendor. They could then repoint it and then um, have real control over their data. So, um, yeah, that's where we've been very successful at. Yeah, and uh, hybrid cloud, of course, refers to having data on-prem, having data in the cloud. What what do you do to be able to enable the management of those information assets? Like, give us some idea of some of the, the, the nuts and bolts of functionality that come into what Cloudian provides. Sure. So we should first um, talk a bit about what we mean by hybrid, since hybrid can be multiple things. But um, what we've seen, as, as, as you've described at the top, Eric, is, you know, first, um, storage was about filers on-premise inside a private data center. Now, um, the second wave, so if that's the first wave, the second wave was really, you know, let's put everything in the cloud, all our workloads in the cloud. And really the hybrid, the third wave, or, you know, if we um, really, the if the first wave was the thesis, the second wave, the antithesis, now we're really at the synthesis of this hybrid where people are realizing that, you need to be able to work everywhere, both at the edge, inside your private data center, and inside a public cloud. And to get to your 
question about really what you need to enable that, then you need to have your software work at all those layers, right? So one thing that's really necessary is to have the APIs be strong, APIs be very um, strong and common and widespread. And, and the way that um, everyone has now converged upon the S3 API has been great. And now um, we're seeing these more use cases and we're seeing also um, the ability to be very flexible then about where you store your data. So for example, have several customers who have some on-premise data and then they would tear it up to AWS Glacier, for example, um, after, after two years. But then the access point, the advantage of object storage is you could access that data from anywhere you are. So I like to um, use the analogy of, you know, if you go way back to when the internet started, it started as, as these private intranets, right, companies. So there's a bunch of silos of data and you couldn't really get from your company to another company's um, data. But then with the internet, you could then access by putting in a specific URL, you could then access your data anywhere. And that's where, what object storage provides, right? You could have one address and you could get your data, whether it's on my um, you know, LIDAR rig of my autonomous car, whether it's in my data center or whether it's in AWS S3. That's impressive. So basically you're facilitating the access to data for whatever use case may be out there for the organization. And let's face it, the world is going to be significantly more federated going forward. I don't think multi-cloud is ever going away, right? You're never going to see a merger of these giants. I don't think so. You're going to have even more niche players and the big players. So it's really a question of trying to find a way to tame the environment and simplify your users' needs as much as possible, right? Real quick, Gary. Yeah, exactly. And then that that's the point of, you know, um, specialization of use cases in terms of performance and in, in terms of particular needs, right? So one one trend we could um, touch on this later is is the what we call repatriation of data. So mm-hmm. a lot of companies start out putting all their data in the public cloud, but then they have to pull it back mm-hmm. for economic reasons. Yeah, let's pick up on that uh, after the break for the roundtable. We got our next guest coming up right after the break. Folks, send me an email. We're booking out the rest of this year right now. Info at dmradio.biz. That comes right to me. And we'll get you on DM Radio. We're in a bunch of new markets now. San Francisco, Seattle, New York, Boston, Philly. It's getting pretty exciting out there, folks. We'll be right back. You're listening to DM Radio. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, ladies and gentlemen, back here on DM Radio, talking to all the experts all about storage, cloud storage, object storage, as opposed to block storage, as opposed to file storage, for example. And in the break there, Grima Kapoor of MinIO was educating me on all the latest. It's really interesting stuff. We'll have to bring that into the roundtable and have a deeper discussion on that because it's really quite fascinating what is happening in the major players in the industry that have to pivot. We were talking about Dell, quite frankly, and how they're trying to pivot from this old world model of selling boxes for on-prem data centers and services around that to just provisioning compute and storage. That's a pretty big change, folks. That's a remarkably um, significant just divergence from what they've been doing. So it's going to be interesting to see how they pull that all off. 
And uh, next up, we do have a company which does the sort of translation engine that I thought Minio did, but uh, Grima corrected me. But we have uh, David Feller from Spectra Logic. So, David, tell us a bit about yourself, Spectra Logic, and what you're doing in the cloud storage space. You bet. Uh, so we're uh, out of Boulder, beautiful Boulder, Colorado. Great day here today. And uh, so we've we've got a little advantage over uh, a lot of the companies here today. Is, is we're almost fifty years old. We've been selling storage for a long time. Started out of the dorm rooms at uh, University of Colorado back in the. Uh, uh, 70s and 80s. And uh, we've been doing all kinds of storage. And we've seen multiple different trans- transitions of storage over the years. So cloud is certainly the latest, but you know, it wasn't long ago we were talking about where, where would flash start playing or what's the translation from going to tape to disk. And so we've been through all of those and we've sold literally exabytes, uh, almost countless exabytes. You've got to think about what that means, exabytes of storage all over the world, research, uh, you know, genomics, uh, pretty much any TV show or radio show that you watch probably is stored on our stuff somewhere in the world. Uh, so that, that's the business that we're in. But uh, the, the, the latest thing about cloud for us is really about helping customers understand what is this move to the cloud look like? When should I do it? How should I do it? Which cloud am I talking? And what do you mean by the cloud? Is it private or public? And, you know, how do we, how do we help our customers with that kind of a transition? Yeah, well, that's uh, that's a good way to segue into our next uh, conversation about it, which is kind of where things have gone and where they're going and what you see in the future here. To the point of our guests earlier, the cloud is the new center of gravity, but none of these other mediums are going to go away. There's still tape storage out there for certain kinds of data that makes sense if you're not going to be using it. You know, one of the funnier jokes I've heard about AWS, and I think they're getting better about this, but one of the consultants I know said the most ungoverned line on your IT budget is your AWS bill because you just don't know what it's going to look like. And so that can be a minor problem at first, but it can turn into a very major problem very quickly. And I think they are getting better about having alerts and filters and, and looking for usage patterns that are significantly different and then letting people know about that. So you don't come in on Monday morning and realize you've blown your entire annual budget in the first three months of the year, which does happen, which does happen. So uh, tell us your thoughts on how you're pivoting to be able to enable uh, companies to leverage cloud architectures, hybrid cloud, all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, you bet. It, it really is a different world. We, we've, uh, of course, the cloud is uh, made of the same stuff that you normally put in your data center. So there's computers, there's, uh, you know, big machines. We sell a lot of storage to the cloud as well. That's a big part of our business. So when you say the cloud, it, it's probably ending, ending up on our stuff in the back uh, <laughs> anyway. But, you know, what's really interesting about this move is I, I think customers are seeing we're in our second wave now. The first wave was get to the cloud as fast as you can, just go pick up your databases in your, uh, you know, compute instances and move them into EC2, just lift and shift as quickly as you can. And that, of course, resulted in, you know, a little bit less architecture locally, but uh, it resulted in exactly what you're talking about, this huge variability, uh, unpredictability, you know, now what does my workflow look like? What does it cost me to actually access that data and pull it back and use it? Um, while at the same time, the cloud guys are developing, you know, better and better technologies. Um, for any of you that went to the AWS, they, they have their reInvent show in uh, December. Mm-hmm. Stunning. I, I, one of the best companies that that puts on, you know, wh- what are you doing with the cloud and how do you use it? The AI that they're developing you know, for any given market take media and entertainment is is stunning. 
but how do I use that? How do I actually integrate that into my workflow? And by the way, what storage do I, I need uh, on-prem? Because you always need something. There's always something left behind. And you know, the, across all three companies that you have today, we all also provide on-prem uh, cloud storage. So something that looks like, maybe looks and feels and smells like Amazon, but is in your local data center. So there's a local aspect to it. How do I integrate that and give any user access to the data? So any user, any data from whatever location they're in. And in fact, how do I do that across multiple clouds and across multiple sites? And that's the business that Spectre's in. Yeah. And, you know, you, you brought up a couple of good points there I'd like to dive into. You've got various use cases for storage, right? Some stuff you just want to keep a backup, for example. And so you want to make sure it's clean. You don't want it to be too expensive. You want to be able to get it quickly. And these, it's a use case around a particular uh, or a, a set of characteristics of a particular use case. But then when you start talking about storage for apps, well, that's when you want much faster storage. You want to be closer to the end user. That's why we have these availability zones. And there are certain things that just have to be very close in proximity because of physics, for example. Are you catering to all those different use cases or do you guys specialize in one particular realm or another? Absolutely. So, of course, uh, like your other two guests, we can provide on-prem fast object storage. Uh, we actually have the added advantage of having file-based NAS and uh, you know, flash disk, wh- whatever you need. We provide a variety of on-prem storage. Uh, but in addition to that, the, you know, the, the question is, how do, I, how do I really integrate that and how do I make what's local work dynamically and seamlessly with what's in the cloud? So what we do really is provide a seamless interface layer. So imagine a single interface. And again, all three of us this morning uh, are, are really standardizing on the AWS S3 interface. Uh, it's not an IEEE standard, but it is the default standard in the industry. Mm-hmm. That's what object storage is. And people think of object storage. So, But not all clouds use S3 and certainly not all on-prem storage uses S3. So what we do is provide a single S3 interface that works regardless of whether I'm talking to my local storage or I'm talking to Amazon or Azure or Google or there's some amazing new players in the market, Wasabi and Backblaze and other Mm -hmm. that are providing incredible advantages, whether it's cost or accessibility. Everybody's got their unique advantages. So the, the problem people aren't thinking about is, what does the cloud mean? Which cloud do you mean when you say, I'm moving to the cloud? Well, I want to use them all. And I want to use some services from Amazon and some from Azure. And I want to do some short-term storage in Wasabi because it's you know cheaper and readily accessible, but they really don't have the same kind of compute and AI that AWS does. So I want it all to just work together seamlessly. And that's the future. That's what we all should be really talking about is this seamless multi-cloud, multi-site kind of a, a infrastructure that, that we all need to be looking towards. Yeah, that, that's very interesting stuff. And I think you are you're, you're hitting a, a nail on its head here in terms of being able to leverage what is available out there, right? So you've got this abstraction layer that you're using to basically let clients manage where the data is, access it here, access it there, and thus you're facilitating the the federated view of the world. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, think about like a median entertainment uh, uh, workflow. I'm generally, I'm going to be ingesting data. I'm going to be taking video, whether it's the morning news, the morning show, a, a, a movie, whatever it is. I'm taking it locally on a disk. I want to do some uh, proxy. I want to keep the things that I'm using local so I can access it really quickly and edit hard on it. But I want to put all of the raw stuff up in the cloud because, you know, if you're not aware, AWS has these 
unbelievably you know good and creepy at the same time AI mm-hmm. capabilities. You, you upload a video and they can identify almost any human in the world uh, based on their face. You can say, hey, show me all of the frames that have a happy man with a beard. And it'll it'll tell you exactly where those are so that you can do your editing in a real-time way. Well, you don't want to do that on 8K video. You want to do right. that on the proxies and then pull it back after, after you get the basic uh, stuff done. So what the entire industry is trying to figure out is which pieces of that should be done locally, which pieces should be done in the cloud, and how do I make them just automatically work together? No user should have to know where their stuff is. It, it should just be readily available. Yeah, that's a really and that's a very interesting point. And let, let's go ahead and into the roundtable here. And I want to try to map consumer examples with the enterprise examples that we're dealing with. And maybe uh, Greenmouth Kapoor of NIO, I'll throw this over to you. I think to myself about file storage and guys like Apple and Microsoft and Google who've all kind of stepped into the file storage game. Like think of your photos, right? And you take all these photos and, and what a dramatic change we've gone through in the last 20 years with photographs because we used to be very careful about how often we snapped that little thing on our camera because we had to get the film developed. The film had it cost money. It cost money to develop it. So you're very careful about that. Now we take a thousand photos and then 10,000 photos. And now we've got like thousands and thousands of photos. And especially if it's over a few years, I can tell you from one of my older computers, I don't want to click on the icon that says, look for the file from this directory. Cause this is going to give me a spinning wheel for 20 minutes. So I was like, okay guys, let's gin up the engines here and try to bring all these photos back. And then there's a latency on the thumbnails and you're like, Oh, why did I do that? I have a meeting in 10 minutes. But my point being, that's a latency issue, right? Like you've just, you're using this old file system to store things, which is good. It stores that stuff, but getting it back quickly is a huge pain in the butt. And that's why we have different kinds of storage now. So with that as the sort of general metaphor, can you explain why object storage is different and what you're doing to be able to expedite the access to data that people need? Yeah. So, um, so there are two things here, right? One one is the legacy systems when we are talking about file and block storage uh, versus the object storage and the need for the object storage overall. So I think that is one aspect that we need to uh, touch upon. So the reason why we have to give credit to AWS in this uh, field is that because they define what a modern object storage needs to look like Hmm. uh, from different uh, standards, whether it is, you know, they did not try to go back and make file system better for these unstructured workloads or for this immutable data, right? They wrote everything from scratch and made it uh, look like, and 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 basically made object storage and define the object storage specs. So I think that credit needs to go there from the innovation standpoint. And mm-hmm. you know, as the sto- storage has evolved, if you see AWS came with S3 first, and then the services were built around it, right? So S3 came first, and then came uh, uh, the compute nodes, and then uh, came applications. You know, whether it is uh, big data applications, and then file system and block storage came came after S3. So S3 is the foundation of uh, all cloud. So I think that is where uh, the real innovation happened. And as as the storage has evolved and as the scale has evolved, the S3 API has also become much more granular in terms of granting access to uh, the certain kind of data sets or even from the security standpoint, what kind of uh, IM access it needs to give and so on. So the storage, the object storage has evolved over a period of time from how it started first and also 
in terms of it catering to newer and more modern workloads. So a lot of optimizations have happened on the object storage itself. And from Minayo's standpoint, when we started, you know, object storage was just looked as, you know, one cheap, deep place where you just throw everything in and never uh, get to see it again or see it once in a while. And, you know, you don't, you did not really mind the, uh, mind the low performance and whatnot. So that is where I think, uh, when we started that that is how the object storage world or the object storage uh, uh, industry looked like and uh, that is where we partnered with intel as well to optimize uh, minayo software in a way to make sure we take complete advantage of the underlying hardware from uh, whether it is from simd instruction set whether you know it is writing the code in go assembly or whether it is taking advantage of the avx 512 and whatnot so we really went to the depth of it to make sure we get the optimal performance because we knew that object storage is going to become or going to cater to newer workloads like big data applications like Spark or Presto or database workloads that are going to mm-hmm. come more natively on. So it needs to be high performant at the end of it. Uh, and uh, that is where uh, we did a lot of optimizations in the product itself. And we have run multiple benchmarks that, you know, anyone can easily go replicate it in the cloud itself. And uh, in terms of the benchmarks, we are the highest performant object storage out there. Uh, <laughs> if you go back and run those similar workloads with a similar set of the underlying hardware, you are going to get uh, the complete performance from the, uh, from the uh, underlying infrastructure. And uh, from uh, uh, so that is one innovation that we did from high performance. Secondly, make it more easily consumable and drive the day to operations because that is where the real skill comes into play when you're managing operations at scale. So we did a lot of investment in Minayo itself, not only to make it easy to deploy and run. So if you go to our website, like I mentioned, you can just download it in five minutes and get your own object storage, uh, S3 compatible object storage. So it's that easy and simple to run. But as you scale your setup, how do you manage the underlying infrastructure? How easy it is from manageability part? That is where we did uh, quite a bit of work, whether it is, you know, investing in the console, GUI for admin and so on, and also make the CLI make more uh, uh, more and more consumable for the developers. So I think high performance and making it more and more consumable from day two standards to manage and run your operations at scale, that is where we did uh, quite a bit of investment from Minayo's standpoint. Yeah, that, that's very impressive. And I love to hear that you you partnered with Intel to get right down into the weeds and understand the chipset instructions and how to leverage yeah. all that. Because a lot of people don't realize when you go to that level of granularity, you really can optimize the flow, right? And that's the key is optimizing the flow of data, making sure it gets out the window as fast as you need it to, gets back in or whatever the case may right. be. Well, folks, don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. You are listening to DM Radio. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Kavanaugh. All right, folks, back here on DM Radio, talking to several experts. What a fantastic conversation today. We've been talking to David Feller of SpectreLogic, Gary Ogasawara from a company called Cloudian, and, of course, Karima Kapoor from Min.io. And, Gary, I'll throw this one over to you. Again, with cloud storage, we want places to keep our data for all kinds of use cases, maybe we may want to retrieve records, for example, or customer data, or whatever the case may be. One of those examples, use cases, is 
artificial intelligence, machine learning. We keep hearing about these technologies. Right. What kind of role can cloud storage play in enabling those kinds of use cases and what does that involve? Right. Well, it's the core of, of, of that use case. And, you know, the way to think of it is data by itself isn't of any value, right? It's how you use that data to make decisions. And that's all this AI, machine learning, analytics workloads. And really, um, we've come to a point where it's, it's a convergence of, of the stack where, where it's getting simplified, where you're getting streaming data, real-time data in, usually via Kafka. Then it goes to an object storage system all through with S3. And then you want to do your batch processing, machine learning to improve that data. And then you have an access layer for that, which is either S3 or we've converged as well on this um, we're talking about to SQL, I think. So, so S3, SQL to access that data. And then that enables these data lake, data warehouse, data mesh. All these are starting to get closer and closer together and there's still a lot of different use cases and a lot of different ways to optimize that. And different um, companies will have their certain advantages and different focuses on that stack. But it's really a good thing because now in the same way that S3 democratized object storage for, for all the software developers, now we're converging to a streaming convergence with Kafka and then with the analytics with SQL. So Object storage at the core of that can provide a lot of those capabilities. Yeah, and this is just fascinating stuff. It really is. And streaming is a whole new ball game as well. And maybe I'll I'll uh, bring I'll bring I guess David Feller back in from SpectraLogic. You know, you look around the open source movement is amazing. It brought us Kubernetes. It brought us Kafka from Confluent. Of course, MinIO is an open source play. It's really changing how how things get done. What do you think about the evolution of just building enterprise technologies and how these things are changing. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the interfaces actually are converging as we're talking about, you know, from a storage standpoint, you know, of course in the hyper, we we do a lot of work in high performance computing and research and that sort of thing. So there's all new file systems over there, but generally the world is either file or it's object storage based. And uh, we've been talking all this morning about S3 and object storage. There's some really unique advantages to object storage that uh, a lot of companies don't think about the ability to have multiple copies and move data around. And in fact, uh, I, I can have multiple copies and multiple clouds and multiple different on site with, without the user having to know. And that you can really only do that behind object storage. Mm-hmm. But what we run into a lot, and, and I'm sure all three companies are the same thing. You walk in and you, go, you talk about all the great advantages of object storage and S3 and it's wonderful. And they go, yeah, but. 90% of my users are still just using files. So we have to also lead the way in converging those. How do we manage both file systems and object storage systems under one umbrella so that we ease the transition? Because it it's not always about which is best and shove everybody into one. It's, you know, you're going to have to figure out how to do both. And, and so the, the key to the world is uh, being able to manipulate files, being able to handle objects in multiple clouds, and being able to make it all look like just one big global storage pool. Yeah, that, no, that's a really good point, too. And maybe uh, um, let's see, I'll throw this back over to Garima to bring her back into the conversation. Uh, it, horses for courses is what my old uh, co-host used to say. You need to know what the use case is, what, what technology do you need to apply here? Um, but for the big stuff, for, the, for machine learning, for AI, for really the future of business, which is at cloud scale, 
you need to figure out how to provision and how to be developer friendly too, right? I think that's a clever thing you folks did too, is really think about the developers, what they have to deal with and make sure that you're making it easy as possible for them to just set that stuff up and start using it, right? Can you explain how that, how how you actually made that happen? Yeah, I think Two things happened here. Uh, Also, the innovation from hardware caught up to where the software can really take advantage of it. So I think we do need to give credit to the hardware innovation from latency, whether it is, you know, taking advantage of complete advantage. The networks got bigger, the drives got faster. So I think from hardware innovation, that really uh, uh, stepped up for the software to take advantage of. So I think that is one thing of it. Second thing that happened from application side was that, you know, as applications are becoming more stateless, and this also ties back to, you know, your your comment about Hadoop earlier on, you know, it being this massive giant thing that you deploy and, you know, do all sorts of jobs and workloads on top of it. And it's a very complex system overall to manage and run. Uh, so what happened that in parallel as the hardware was, you know, from the innovation standpoint, it was catching up. From Hadoop standpoint, what happened because of the operational complexity and whatnot, and also the total cost involved when you are tightly coupling compute and storage together. So that, in essence, basically led to decoupling of storage and compute. So compute became stateless. It it can, you know, be spun up and down depending on your workloads from Kubernetes perspective. And the storage became centralized and it became, you know, the object storage tier. So if you see Amazon EMR, you were talking about Snowflake earlier. They're all built on AWS S3. They're all the primary, the underlying primary storage is object storage that is powering all these applications. So now when you come to the AI AI ML application part, it's again, uh, uh, you know, if you see TensorFlow, if you see Kubeflow, they are natively built to talk to endpoints with S3. They don't talk files. So if you go to the documentation of Mm. TensorFlow, they talk about about GCP, then the third thing they talk about is Minio. It is very simple, very clean. All the newer modern applications, they are all built for S3 first and not for the file system. Now, if you, of course, there are obviously going to be certain set of class of applications and databases that are always going to stick to file system because of their legacy and the baggage and whatnot. And we as a company are not focused on that set of workload. We are focused on the more modern workloads who are coming natively to S3 object storage. And also if legacy uh, uh, workloads, they want to re-architect and work and make their cloud, make their workloads more S3 native, we are happy to work with them and make sure we give them, uh, you know, everything, whether it is from scalable, performant, Kubernetes native environment, we deliver all on the requirements from the storage front standpoint. But uh, uh, if you see the trend is all moving towards S3 first, from applications, whether it is AI ML applications or whether it is database applications, they are all coming to object storage first. And the the thing about uh, coming to object storage first is more from the uh, perspective. It is all RESTful API. It is all HTTP. You can access it from everywhere. I think that that has been the big and significant part of it uh, from uh, object storage popularity overall. Second part of it comes to, you know, the scale of the data that is involved. File systems cannot scale to that kind of uh, uh, workload. It's just not going to scale mm-hmm. petabytes and petabytes of data uh, with the ease of object storage. So that's second part. The third part is about the granular policy control and access control. 
So all those things add up. And, uh, you know, if you see like two or five years from now, if, from where, uh, from how we are seeing this market evolving, more and more workloads are going to standardize. Even the legacy workloads are going to be rewritten to be S3 first workloads. So like if you see Kafka, they, uh, you know, with the distributed streaming engine, they have S3 first as their adapter to talk to uh, talk to uh, object store. If you talk about uh, the traditional applications, even Spark applications or Presto applications, they all have S3 connectors when it comes to talking to object storage and uh, making sure the queries are uh, seamless and they deliver to your internal customer requirements and whatnot. If you see Kubeflow, TensorFlow, PyTorch, Jupyter Notebook, you name it, they all have S3 first as their implementation when it comes to talking to or getting uh, or uh, from the underlying data set. So that's what we see increasingly from uh, uh, from our customer base and from what we see from our community as well. Yeah, that's fantastic information. And I think you're really setting the uh, the landscape pretty clearly here that uh, the cloud really is the future. This is a new way of doing business and uh, we need to sort of pivot towards being able to appreciate that. And I think we'll have a podcast bonus segment coming up here next with our guests, but uh, it is a fascinating time to be in the world of business. And I think that uh, one of the things we may talk about here is policies around retention, right? We, a lot of people want to keep that data forever because there may be some value to it. But I got to think more and more people are going to start taking a harder look at those policies and going, you know what? If that data is more than seven years old and the policy says after seven years, we pull the ripcord, they're going to pull that ripcord, baby, and get rid of that data and slowly march toward this new way of doing business, this new way of persisting data, of accessing data, of analyzing data, of leveraging data for the, the most powerful compute in the world, which is artificial intelligence and machine learning. Podcast bonus segment up next. You've been listening to DM Radio. Okay, folks, time for the podcast bonus segment here on DM Radio. We're talking all things cloud storage. I wanted to get some thoughts from our guests on what the future or the near-term future holds. I guess maybe Gary Ogasarara uh, of, um, of Cloudy, and I'll throw it over to you first. We've been talking about object storage, how it's changing the game. What are your thoughts on the near-term future of the cloud? What's changing? What do people really have to pay attention to? Right. I want to touch on a point that we haven't talked about yet, and that's um, data sovereignty and security. So we're hearing this more and more from our customers. And it's about, you know, if I'm a German enterprise, I'm not allowed to store my data outside of Germany, or I'm not allowed to use a public cloud at all. So how do you do that? And how does the cloud storage market respond to that? And that's a very interesting and rising topic that I think will be um, very prominent in 2022. Yeah, that's a good one. I'll throw it over to uh, David Feller from SpectraLogic. What are what what are your big markers for the future, the near term future of cloud, and how it's changing? Well, I, I actually come back to something that you closed the show with just a moment ago. Um, we, we've been talking about S three generically, you know, world you know, very fast local storage, very fast cloud storage, but there's also this long term data retention, and that that's a, a business that we've been in for a long time. Actually, you know, what we're probably known for more than anything is long-term storage, spin down Glacier on-prem disk or uh, tape. And so the new trend is to take these cloud interfaces, which make a lot of sense naturally for flash and disk and taking over block storage and presenting an S3 interface. We all do that. Um, But now I can present uh, long-term storage 
as Glacier on premise. And we do it a exact same conversation. We can have a whole nother show about, well, how does that work uh, through with, with an AWS interface? Well, you use AWS S3 Glacier commands and say, well, I want to push something into a tape library. I want to push something into a disk system that spins down and will last, you know, 20 years or bulk flash, which is the next coming thing, uh, you know, long-term storage on flash. So we do that using Glacier and long SLA processes. And I think that's a new thing that customers are going to start converting to because all those traditional methods of long-term storage are actually pretty hard to use. Let's use the same interfaces we're talking about here, the cloud interfaces for those long-term storage. And we're going to see a lot of that, especially in research and government and military and that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah, it's so interesting. There's such a long legacy. Maybe, Grima, I'll throw this over to you. We always have this issue of legacy systems and then forward-looking technologies. And what do we bring along with us? What do we make sure we're reverse compatible with, for example? And when do we just go, you know what? we got to cut our losses. I mean, I saw a, uh, what was it? Uh, someone was joking about, just to get uh, topical here, that big bad guy, Vladimir Putin, is sitting at a desk in his office, and he's got, someone said, is that Windows 7? And they're looking at the background, and you're just like, wow. You know, there are some people who are still in the past. I mean, it was a long time ago, but my one uncle was like, why isn't anything working? I looked at his computer, I'm like, dude, you've got Netscape 1.0 on your machine. It was like, you know, 10 years old at the time. Like, you got you got to ramp up to get the new stuff. What are your thoughts real quick uh, on all that, Karima? I think, uh, you know, from legacy standpoint, we just tell customers from best practices, do not bring bad behaviors from legacy, <laughs> try to retrofit. It's just, <laughs> you know, right. That's right. <laughs> the thing is that it always leads to bad experience in future, you know, at the outset to get customers, you can make them happy, you know, say all yes, yes, yes things on the first call. And then <laughs> it, it comes to maintaining and, you know, making sure they are successful and we are successful together. So, you know, being very upfront and honest with the, the customers who are in the legacy world, give them the right kind of tool set that they need to come along uh, uh, to the new modern, uh, you know, way of doing things or uh, operationalizing from storage standpoint. We always give them the best practices, but in terms of us doing something or building some legacy behavior in our uh, product, we don't do that. Like, for example, very early on, and even now we get requests like, would you support, you know, FOSIX API, for example. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's easy for us to tell, yes, but, you know, the real complexity really lies in the details, because once you touch that system, then you need to enable everything under the sun. And we won't be the best object storage and we won't be the best file system. So it's always better to be focused no matter what you do, we have been very focused in terms of from day one that we want to be S3, AWS S3 for the rest of the world. And that's what we do best. And that's mm -hmm. what we stick to. In terms of customers who are coming from legacy world, we give them the best practices and tool sets. And we work very closely with them to make sure that uh, as they are building out a scalable environment, give them the right kind of tooling from operational and manageability standpoint, day to op standpoint. So they are comfortable with the uh, setup and they have the confidence to run it independently and whatnot. So we provide that. But in terms of, you know, it, it, it's never a good idea to put everything, make a Swiss army knife. It won't, it won't lead to any good outcome. You will make a mediocre product at the end of it. So our design goal has been very simple. It has been very straightforward. Just do thing, do one thing and do one thing better than rest in the industry. So we yeah. have very focused on that. 
That's great. That's a great way to end the show, folks. It's uh, best of breed is what we used to call that. Best of breed versus standardization. And standardization was a pipe dream from the get-go. I think we all figured that much out. Check out these folks online, Cloudian, C-L-O-U-D-I-A-N. We've got Spectra Logic, just like it sounds, and min.io. Wonderful show today. You've been listening to DM Radio.